I'm one of the pastors here. I want the table. You want the table, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Kristen Potter. I'm our Children and Family Ministries Director here. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Gary uh, and I get to work together every single day along with the rest of our awesome central team. And I've been here about two years. And Gary, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm kind of a rebel. You are? I am. Okay. All right. Sorry. I get this. When I go to fill up my car with gas, I don't always fill it up all the way. Because I'm not about to let that car tell me what I can and cannot do. Okay? My, my husband might say that I'm lazy, but that's me being a rebel, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe if you look at your life, maybe you guys are rebels. Maybe you're a rebel that doesn't put that red cart back into the proper cart return at Target. That's kind of a rebel. Or maybe you rebel against your alarm clock in the morning by hitting snooze like one or ten times before actually rolling out of bed. Right? Or this one, I think, is really good. Maybe you're a rebel that rebels against what society says is fashionable, and you rock those strappy Teva sandals with socks, loud and proud. <laughs> right? That's a straight-up rebel like, Crazy. right there. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so rebel looks different for each of us, right? Obviously. I need, I'm sorry, I forgot my, my water. And... Uh, you know, Kristen mentioned to me that she was a little nervous because um, she doesn't normally speak to adults, and I wanted her to feel really comfortable. It's <laughs> true. Um, That's perfect. Maybe... Yeah, thank you. I'm much more at home no, now. No. Thanks. Um, Thanks. So sorry. What's it's... in here? Can I ask? I'm just curious. No, I'm just kidding. Hot toddy. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. pink, so yeah. that is me. Um, so, uh, yeah, Rebellious looks, looks different for everybody. Of course, we're talking about um, this series, Rebels and Reformers. We're talking about what does uh, a godly rebellion look like and what does it look like to bring about reform uh, from a biblical standpoint. And we've, we've been looking at different biblical characters, and some of them are just these bigger-than-life daunting characters like, like David, who, um, like the A's, defeated giants. And uh, the... Uh, sorry. Can I leave? Is that cool? If I didn't get off the stage? All right. This is an extra inning game. I had to mention that. So. <laughs> the worst. Um, so, and I think we're kind of drawn to these these big mm. named characters. Yeah. Um, we we've also looked at, at some lesser known or at least quieter rebels like Ruth, who um, she kind of lived her life contrary to some cultural norms and expectations, but she did so out of a, a deep selfless love for her family. And so um, you've got kind of these extremes, and this week's character is one, um, I liked how you worded it, is kind of obedient rebellion. This is, a, this is a character that just her obedience went maybe a little unnoticed at the time, but as we're going to look at, not, not forgotten. Yeah. And uh, this character was a teenager, 15 years old, at a time when um, it was Egyptian rule and hostile and barbaric is probably the best way to describe what yeah. the environment was she grew up in. Yeah, actually 400 years prior to this character's story, you find the Israelites settling in the land of Egypt where they were starting to get really strong and thrive and growing in number until there was a new sheriff in town, right? A new king was appointed and came into power and he was really insecure about the growing number of Israelites. And so he issues this hideous and appalling decree demanding that all Hebrew baby boys be put to death. Actually, it says in Exodus 1, um, 22, it says every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile 
but let every girl live. I mean, how just disturbing of a verse is that to read? Thinking about those parents who had baby boys. You know, that verse transitions from this horrible decree into the next chapter where we find Moses being rescued by the watchful eye of his big sister, which I'm a big sister. I kind of love that. Um, in kids ministry here at Central, we, when we're doing our Bible story, we tend to tell the story instead of just read it word for word from the Bible. And I normally have one or two volunteers read the verse as we go along, kind of highlighting really key parts. And so we're going to kind of play it like that this morning. Sit on the edge of your seat. You don't know who I'm going to ask. It's going to get really exciting. I'm just kidding. I have a plan. I promise. I promise. So in the beginning of Exodus chapter 2, we find a Levite man and a Levite woman who get married, and they have a baby boy. And when they find that this baby is healthy and well, they know that they have to hide him to protect him. Let's see what happens in verse 3 and 4. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Chris. I'm a big fan of the reward system, uh, just in life in general. And so, um, you guys, isn't Chris a really good reader? (laughs) He's a great reader. You're going to get a prize, Chris. That's my reward for you. It's Gary, tell him what he's won. You got some sunglasses. Yeah, there you go. Way to go. All right. I like it. I like it. Thanks. Okay, awesome. So as Chris was reading, we just found that Big Sister is standing watching this baby among the reeds. And then we see that Pharaoh's daughter comes out with her servants to bathe in the Nile. And she hears this baby crying. And she sends one of her servants to go get that baby to bring him to her. And she opens that basket. And she, it says in the word that she feels sorry for him. And she says to one of her servants, This is one of those Hebrew baby boys. And then what seems to be like out of nowhere, you see Miriam pop up and says, hey, would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to take care of that baby for you, to nurse that baby? And without hesitation, Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go. So big sister takes baby brother to the mom, and she's able to care for her son until he's old enough to go live with Pharaoh's daughter, where she takes him in as her own son, and she names him Moses which means I drew him from the water. The, um, the character that we're going to look at, she's, she's actually unnamed here, mm-hmm. but later on we know Moses' sister. Um, is Her name is Miriam, and that is who we're going to look at today, mm-hmm. which, again, kind of you know, these bigger-than-life characters like Moses, but we're going to pick Miriam. And why are we going with Miriam? Because that's who Kristen picked. That's yeah. why. <laughs> That's, that's really sure. why. Um, and when, when Kristen said this is who she really felt led to, to teach on, my first thought was, I don't know a whole lot about her. Um, she definitely lived. And we, one of the first things we talked about was how she lived kind of an ordinary life mm. is really what. And so that um, just kind of on the surface, ordinary life was one of the things that we wanted to, to lean into. Yeah. Yeah. We're also going to talk about how Miriam was invested and how she was rebellious. But first, let's take a look at her ordinariness. Yeah, ordinary um, sometimes isn't so ordinary, I guess. Um, as I was uh, um, preparing for this morning and, and teaching on her life, the more I thought about 
um, her ordinariness, I had to be honest about a fear that I have, and I honestly have a fear of being ordinary. Uh, does anybody else feel that way? Yeah? See, everybody feels that way. So again, it, <laughs> it kind of confirms our fear uh, that everybody, no. Um, no, I just, I got to thinking about that, and, and rather than trying to wrestle through, is it okay to be ordinary, or did, does God want me to be extraordinary, or, you know, what, um, I kind of settled in and was trying to figure out what's the thing behind the thing, why am I so afraid of being ordinary, and so I kind of, kind of put pen to paper, this was when I was, uh, uh just a couple weeks ago out, uh, just with some time of reflecting, and I started off just with that five-word confession, I am afraid of ordinary. And as I chewed on it, uh, I thought, I fear that I will go through life and not make an impact, which has led me to pursue and worship the God of results. This makes me wonder what I've avoided for fear that it would not make an impact or garner the results of success. Worse, it makes me wonder who I've avoided. Have I avoided time with a person with an ordinary need? When it comes to fears, sometimes I'll worst case scenario it. What is the worst thing that could happen if I died as an ordinary man who lived an ordinary life? What's the worst thing that could happen? To be forgotten. Forgottenness. Maybe that's the thing behind the thing of ordinary. I fear being forgotten. I want to be remembered. Remembered for something good. And if I'm not remembered then did I really matter? Maybe do I matter is the third layer of the peeling onion. Am I ordinary? Will I be forgotten? Do I matter? I am basing how much I matter by stacking up accomplishments. Basing my worth on what I accomplish is a very wearying way to go through life. Why is it so difficult to rest in my matterness, my worth, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for me? There are several hashtag lives matter. Uh, and yes, their lives do matter. But I really struggle to accept hashtag Gary's life matters when I'm doing ordinary day-to-day stuff. I don't know how many of you can relate to that, but I believe that Miriam's life, among other things, teaches us that God can do amazing things out of the ordinary. In other words, we don't have to go looking to create extraordinary. I believe God gives us an opportunity to, to live fully aware of him in those ordinary times. And he is the one that will, will bring about those things. So rebels and reformers are rebels and reformers in the ordinary and the day-to-day. Which got me to thinking, what if every one of us, 150 or so that are in this room right now, what if each one of us tomorrow, whatever Mondays typically look like for you, what could happen if each of us just for this one day did ordinary stuff with a Godward focus? How powerful could that be? Mm-hmm. Sometimes just being ordinary can actually bring about really awesome life change. You know, early on in my life, uh, being new to faith, church was really important to my parents. They didn't grow up in Christian homes. So bringing their girls to church was a priority for them. And they were determined to get really plugged into this new church they were calling home. And so in order, you know, wanting to make 
friendships and connections and to find community with people who are in the same season of life that they were in. So they thought, what better way to get plugged in than to volunteer in kids ministry, right? I love my parents. They're so great. And so they jump in and get involved. And I laugh about it now because I love hearing their stories about being a volunteer in a kid's classroom because it's what I do (laughs) all the time. And I love hearing my dad's perspective. He jokes about how hard it was to get the three Ambrose girls out of the house in time in our matching pink fur coats uh, to get to church early in order to set up for the class that he and my mom were having to teach and how he would mow through a row of Ritz crackers that they hand out for snack (laughs) because he didn't get to have breakfast that morning. And so that was his breakfast, his Ritz crackers. Um, little did they know that this ordinary activity, just showing up a couple Sundays a month, would actually be life-changing for them. They did meet other volunteers. They did meet other couples who were in the same season of life of raising kids and eating Ritz crackers for breakfast. And um, they didn't know at that time, but these were the friends that our family would vacation with for the next 13 years. They didn't know that these were the friends that would stand by their side when they lost their parents later down the road. And that these were the friends that would come early and stay late to set and tear down my wedding two years ago. These are ordinary volunteers who raised me, who shaped who I am today. And my parents and their closest friends saw the importance of what it meant to do life with others and to pour into the lives of their friends' kids because... They knew that just because you're doing life together and you're showing up in an ordinary way, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean something to the people that you're showing up for. You know, Moses probably didn't see Miriam as ordinary. I mean, she risked her life to save him just by watching, just kind of by babysitting, if you will. If you breeze over Miriam's role in this whole story, it's so easy to miss. But to Moses and to their parents... She stepped in when they couldn't. So ordinary, but you see that if you're really going to lean into ordinary, you've got to throw your whole self in. Mm. I mean, there was an investment of herself that she made, not just yeah. time. Um, there's a verse uh, that, um, that was read earlier. I'm going to read it again, although I don't think I'm going to get sunglasses. But uh, um, <laughs> we'll see verse, how good you do. Verse 4. <laughs> Uh, Miriam stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Mm-hmm. That word stand in Exodus 2-4 could mean that she stood and positioned herself so that she could keep an eye on that basket as it floated in the Nile. Standing means to position ourselves to see, to observe, to know what's happening as it's happening. I think that this kind of standing actually requires us to slow down, Right? to silence all that inner noise that's going on in our own minds and to quit splashing around, to just be still. We have to be present in all things, in all people, especially in the ordinary, really. Do you ever feel like you're just too busy to notice the people who might be floating right in front of you? Right? Maybe our lives are just so loud that we can't hear the cries of somebody who's alone and in need. Extraordinary stuff can begin when someone actually pays attention in those quick, ordinary moments. That Hebrew word stand not only means to position yourself to see what's happening, but it can also mean 
to take a stand, to do something. Miriam positioned herself to see what would take place, and at the right time, at the right moment, she stood up for her baby brother. She responded. She got involved. She offered to be part of the solution. You know, she just, it wasn't just out of curiosity that she stood up. She knew that there was something that she had to do. Sometimes you see how an investment in someone's life pays off, and it actually kind of scares you to think that your life would be so different had you not made that one investment. I mean, think about it. Miriam could have easily said, yeah, my brother's life is important. I value him. But she, had she not done anything about it, those words would be super empty. There'd be no action in it. The story, actually, of Moses would be completely different had she not taken that stand and actually acted on that investment. What stood out to me in this story a lot is how there's so much importance in taking a stand when her parents could not. Because of a really insecure and dangerous pharaoh issuing issuing this horrible decree, her parents' hands were tied behind their backs. They couldn't do anything. They were helpless. And then here's Miriam, ready to listen to her mom. She was obedient to her mom's request by saying, hey, watch this basket. And at the same time, she was disobedient to what the law was saying. She's, she's this obedient rebel. And I love that about her. Uh, investing in someone is actually kind of a really funny thing. It can happen normally, organically, over time. You spend time with that person and you invest. But sometimes it can happen in the blink of an eye. <laughs> like thrusting you smack dab into the middle of their life, whether you're ready for it or not, or whether they're ready for it or not, there you are. Uh, And that's what happened to me. Before I started doing ministry full-time, I split 10 years of my life between teaching and actually junior high and high school youth ministry. Uh, It was such a sweet spot in my life, and it all started because my sister, being in sixth grade, she was nervous about going to Hume Lake for the first time by herself. So, like I said, big sister. I was like, I'll go. I'll go with you. I'll make it more comfortable for you. We'll have a blast. And after all, middle school ministry is always looking for new leaders. Can I get an amen? Right? (laughs) Always. Um, And so I knew that Kim would get set up for life by meeting awesome people and carrying these relationships all through youth ministry during her time in junior high and high school, which she did. And I would just do it for the weekend and then go back to my regularly scheduled programming, right? Um, So I show up that morning to load the bus for Hume Lake, and I am greeted by this rowdy, loud, and stunning group of girls who nearly knocked me down when they found out that I was going to be their leader and uh, immediately started pledging their undying love for me and saying that we were going to be best friends forever and all all this stuff without actually knowing that I had only really signed up just to love them for the weekend, right, and then be done. So we made it through the weekend, by the grace of God. I have no idea how. Um, but we made it through this weekend, and I quickly realized that my time with these girls was far from over. They insisted on these camp reunions at my house every single week, which actually kind of turned into a small group. I would plan out this really thoughtful and biblical discussion, and they would come wanting to talk about boys and dating the whole time. So <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's what we did. Um, and... What, turned, what I thought was just going to be this weekend turned into seven plus years with this beautiful, rowdy group of girls. And at any given moment, you could find one, if not more of them, at my house, 
going through my cabinet, my cabinets looking for food, picking through my closet looking for clothes, calling all, at all hours of the night. And there was even once where I came home and found one of the girls crying in my bed because she had found out that her father had passed away earlier that day. So here I was planning on just investing for a weekend and then be done with it. But then something happened. Something happened in me, actually. In between going to their games and doing their makeup for prom and listening to their problems and having them sleep on the floor of my bedroom, these girls burrowed their way into the deepest parts of my heart and of my life. And I'm changed because of them. I loved them in all their craziness because they were mine, right? Because we were us. And now 12 years later, I've been there as their bridesmaids and their wedding and them and mine. And I've been there when they've had their babies. And when I think about true investment and how God made us to live in true community, I think about these girls and had I not taken that leap and, in, and invested in just that brief moment of time, I would have missed out on this rich and deep relationship that I've carried with me for the last 12 years. You know, Miriam invested in Moses's really young life just for that brief moment, and it made a world of difference. It didn't make a difference just to him, but to his parents, to the Israelites, and far, far beyond that. The, um, I love that Miriam... Um, she was in the family, but she did something that the parents cannot. And any of us um, in here that are parents know that there are, we just, we have a real deep need for Miriams to come in and do the things yeah. that we can't do or that we would like to do, but it just doesn't, doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, thank goodness there are those others. So uh, it's, I mean, the more we talk about it, the less ordinary it seems because of this investment and her obedience um, and then uh, we, we did want to say, as a third point, that Miriam was rebellious. And the funny thing is, we realized we probably should have started this series with Miriam because her name means rebel. Um, and uh, we didn't know that until we started studying. Well, that's why I picked her. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm, sorry. I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't know. That's until, a lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so just think about what would that have been like for Miriam to introduce herself? You know, hi, I'm, I'm rebellious, you know, uh, what was it like for the parents? You know, (laughs) Hey, these are two boys, Moses and Aaron and Aaron. And this is our, well, this is our rebellious child. And and so I guess there's kind of a a hope in this. If you've Mm -hmm. ever been labeled as the rebellious one, Mm -hmm. um, if you have one that is rebellious, if you have one, it is rebellious, okay? <laughs> if you have more than one, one of them probably is. But yeah. um, the Lord knows how to take the heart of a rebel and funnel it in the direction of what is good. Um, to take that rebel heart and to fight against injustice. And, and I really leaned into that. I just, I thought that was such a great, great word of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, with that. And, um, in Exodus 15, uh, so later on in the story, um, Miriam is named again. And by this, by this point, Miriam and Moses are adults. Moses is now wearing those strappy tevas with socks as they are, um, uh, about to make their exit from, from Egypt, from slavery. 
Miriam is described in scripture later on as the labels that she's given are prophetess, leader, um, and as we're going to see in just a moment, singer, songwriter. So it's just kind of a beautiful picture, again, of how God takes maybe someone who was very rebellious at the beginning, but uh, gets that going in the right direction. And so, so it got me to thinking, what is this like uh, as here they are? Um, yes, Moses was the one leading people out of Egypt, but Miriam was right there with them. Miriam witnessed this. Um, Miriam was there when they were up against the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is, is hot on their heels. And I, I can't help but wonder if when facing the Red Sea, Miriam had a flashback to the first time she was with her brother and a body of water and seemingly impossible odds. I wonder if Miriam would stand watching Moses at the Red Sea in the same way she stood watching Moses in the Nile. I wonder if she thought to herself, the Lord wouldn't have rescued Moses from the Nile just to let him drown at the Red Sea, would he? How will the Lord rescue this time? And she was there. She was there not just in the Nile, but she was there when God parted the Red Sea and she was there walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. She was there when God defeated Pharaoh's army as those walls of water collapsed. And as the nation celebrated um, this God-given victory, um, she becomes this singer, songwriter, worship leader, and she picks up a timbrel, which I think is interesting. Um, I don't know if Delany is in here right now, but she, she was playing the drums. A timbrel is a hand drum. And so Miriam picks up this drum and this is the chorus that she sang and all of the women followed after her. Sing to the Lord for he has highly exalted both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Yeah. Wow. What I love about a rebel and a reformer is that they know who the true hero of the story is. Miriam didn't see herself as the hero when she crossed the Red Sea. And she didn't see herself as the hero all the years earlier back at the Nile when Moses was in this basket. And actually, she didn't see her brother Moses as the hero of the story either. You see, Miriam knew what all rebels and reformers know. They know that God's the real hero of this story. So let's focus on that hero right? God was the deliverer then, and he's still the deliverer today. And he was for his people, the Israelites, and he's for us here at Central and for the people of San Jose and far, far beyond that. He's for his people who put their faith and trust in him for salvation. That same God who couldn't be stopped in Exodus is the same God who's changing lives and saving hearts today. And he's setting people free. God's the real hero. It just so happens that he chooses to use people like you and me to accomplish his will. To set people free. Will you pray with me? God, you are the real hero. And we say right now that we trust you with our stories. We know that you can do big things with ordinary, so we ask in your name to show us where to stand so that we can see the needs around us. Teach us how to live boldly 
and rebellious lives, even in the midst of really ordinary moments. Lord, show us your presence. Show us your direction, Lord God. Thank you for being the God who rescues us in the midst of really crazy stories, Lord God. We love you, Lord, and we need you. Amen.